Welcome to TDAM Talks, Minds and Markets, the podcast delving into the intersection of minds and markets in the world of investing. Join us as we explore the sophisticated topics, expert insights, and dynamic discussions shaping the landscape of investment markets, providing a deeper understanding for seasoned professionals and curious minds alike. Today, we'll be talking about interest rates. This is not a podcast about our tactical view of interest rates or an opinion piece on some recent central bank action. The topics are heavily covered by you know, many media and research outlets. I want to talk about that natural rate of interest. Basically, what is the level of policy interest rates that will neither choke the economy or create asset bubbles? I want to focus on the equilibrium level of interest rates. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Naum Tibet, Managing Director at TD Asset Management, and with me is Alex Gorowitz, a member of the Fixed Income Team with extensive experience in everything rates-related. So that concept of an equilibrium level of interest rates, it's been modeled and tracked for a very, very long time. Thing going back to the 20th century. It gained a lot of prominence in the early 2000s through the work of the Federal Reserve Chair, and since been quoted many times. Uh, the terms used to quote the equilibrium level of interest are our star, natural rate, and neutral rate. Bottom line, it all means the same thing. It's the policy interest rates that will neither choke that economy or create those asset bubbles. So let's go into the theory. It states that there's a certain level of impact on that equilibrium level of interest rates that comes from uh, long-term economic factors. The two main factors that drive it are productivity, firstly, and then secondly, demographics. Because productivity levels and demographic trends obviously change with time, this results in equilibrium level of interest rates that is not constant over the long term. What I mean is, you know, it can be that, you know, that equilibrium level is at 5% during a period or 1% over another period. So interest rate levels that neither choke the economy or create bubbles changes through time. So I earlier said that there's two main factors that drive the equilibrium level of rates, productivity and demographics. Thinking about it, how productivity impacts that equilibrium rate? Well, to have the details around the mechanics of it, uh, there's a paper attached to this podcast, but the bottom line is our star rises when productivity increases materially. Think the invention of the computer. And it declines if nothing significant happens to productivity, thinks the last 10 years. So the lack of significant productivity growth over the last decade has really put downward pressure on the equilibrium rate and likely you know, it could continue for some time. The other major factor that drives that equilibrium rate is demographics. So as the population ages, obviously it would look to save for retirement and take less risk with their saving. So you know, you're retired, you don't have that income stream. They will park money in government bonds and money market, which really increases the demand for those safe assets, be it fixed income assets. So an aging population means more people want to lend money to the government, which will drive that equilibrium level of rates lower. Well, we don't expect any material slowdown in the aging of the population, and we believe that downward pressure on that equilibrium rate will continue. So far, we talked a lot of theory. Now I want to ask a question to a practitioner. Now, turning to you, Alex, what's your view on that neutral level of interest rates or that equilibrium level? While I agree that productivity and demographics are the key drivers of that R-star in the longer run, I think over the next couple of years, there's a lot of uncertainty around other policy angles that have the ability to change the perception around those those two key 
factors and things around, uh, you know, fiscal policy, social policy or geopolitics. And I think all of this uncertainty will exert upward pressure on our star uh, versus where it was for much of the 2010s. So if we agree with the Fed that, you know, over the last decade, our star was in nominal terms around two and a half to three percent, then I think over the next couple of years, we'll probably see a shift higher of about half a percent to even a full percent. So three to three and a half percent. A couple of things. To me, the ballpark level matters more than, uh, you know, the precise measurement itself, because it's impossible to know where that true rate really is. But it's not useful on its own uh, as a measure. It's a relative gauge for monetary policy. So if the Fed, as of the time of this podcast, is at five and a half percent policy rate, even if my R star is higher than the Fed at three and a half percent, I still think monetary policy is tight. And then, of course, my view can also change if some of those medium term uncertainties dissipate. Is there a possibility uh, that interest rates stay high at the level that they are today? I think it is. And it's around this perception of R star, which actually anchors interest rates, especially uh, longer interest rates like 10 year and 30 year rates. So I told you that my view is three to three and a half percent. Collectively, the market or collectively investors think it's actually closer to four percent. Uh, but the Fed's still at two and a half percent. And if there is a, a meaningful change that we've seen this year is that every update in the dot plot that the Fed puts out every quarter, We've seen more and more Fed members skew upwards their their views on R star. I'd say if the median view changes to be closer to where, let's say, I am or where the market is, I think that will prop up interest rates around today's elevated levels. Let's let's think think about it from an opposite direction perspective. What would push interest rates to go extremely low or even negative? Well, I'm, I'm a creative person, so I could come up with a couple of scenarios, but I'll try to summarize that in a couple of uh, factors that could bring our star back down. Um, I'd say one is, a, I'll call it a permanent destruction of capital. So let's say there are a lot of debt defaults uh, in our economy from, the, from any um, economic actor, households, corporates, or, or governments with little to no recovery rates. If there is a structural shift higher in the savings range, right, so the propensity to save more uh, increases, or if there is some kind of sustained deleveraging cycle, I think any one of these three could exert downward pressure on our star. Thanks, Alex. Maybe you could just give us a sense of the methods you use in forecasting interest rates over the short, medium term. Like, what do you consider? What do you look at? How do you model that? How do you think about it? Probably two key ways. So one is based on something called pure expectations theory for interest rates. It's basically where we create a path of where we think in the future the Fed policy rate will be. And then we compute two, five, 10, 30 year rates under that path. And then we compare with where interest rates are today. But of course, we have to do this analysis over multiple scenarios because we have to assume Fed policy path will be different depending on what happens in the economy. And then another uh, method is to effectively use statistical modeling techniques to compare today's interest rates against a really wide array of fundamental or economic variables, as well as financial market variables. No, it seems that um, everybody and anybody has an opinion on the level of interest rates, you know, from my dad to my friend who's trying to decide to fix or keep his mortgage rate variable. How complex is the forecasting process or how complex is it to forecast interest rates? 
I wish I could give you a succinct answer because then it'd be easier to answer all those mortgage questions I get as well. Like, should I uh, go variable or fixed? And, but really, it's a multi-layered process. It involves a lot of data, a lot of models. Numerous people are probably put a wide array of expertise. And, you know, the truth is that I, I kind of simplified my answer to your previous question about how we forecast interest rates because actually interest rates have multiple components and each one of those components has to be dissected, understood, and modeled. What I mean by that is like if you take a 10-year rate, for example, it can effectively be broken down into three components. You have 10-year inflation expectations, you have 10-year real rates, and then you have the 10-year term premium. And if I was to get really geeky, you could actually take that 10-year term premium and split it up into term premium for inflation expectations and for real rates. So it's actually kind of four components, if you will. But for each one of these components, we have to find data, clean it, store it from multiple sources, probably comes in multiple dimensions, different data types, different frequencies, et cetera. And then we have to create appropriate models or apply various statistical techniques for each of these components, depending on the data inputs that we use. So the forecasting process actually requires a lot of data collection, a lot of data processing and analytics capabilities. But then beyond that, we actually have to engage with different investment peers across our firm and across asset classes so we can debate we can stress test, we can discuss the validity of the results of all of these different models. And we don't just do that within fixed income where, yes, we have a lot of fixed income experts across the portfolio management teams, the trading teams, the credit research teams. But we also have these conversations across asset classes where, let's say, our asset allocation or like equity research peers will also look at different components that are related to interest rates for their specific needs. And if I had to summarize in one sentence, I'd say there's a lot of complexity, a lot of computation, and a lot of collaboration to do the forecasting of interest rates. Awesome. Thanks, Alex. Really just to summarize, there is a natural level of interest rates, an equilibrium level, that if uh, Policy rates are above that. It's looking to slow down or chill the economy. And if it's below that, it could possibly create an asset bubble. Maybe that's really what we wanted to highlight uh, in this podcast. But also we wanted to showcase that that equilibrium level changes through time and it's not constant. In addition to that, that forecasting interest rates is extremely complex and requires a lot of tools, a lot of resources, a lot of models. And Obviously, a lot of people with that specific experience and expertise. This was a great chat about the equilibrium rate of interest. And I want to thank Alex for joining me on the podcast today. If you're interested in more information, please download our recent thought leadership piece, Finding Guidance in the R-Stars Light, available on TD Asset Management's site and linked to the podcast description. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please like and subscribe on your preferred podcast app. Send us any comments you have for upcoming episodes to our email, td. TDAM Talks at td.com. A mouthful, but enjoy your day. The information contained herein is for information purposes only. The information has been drawn from sources believed to be reliable. The information does not provide financial, legal, tax, or investment advice. Particular investment, tax, or trading strategies should be evaluated relative to each individual's objectives and risk tolerance. This material is not an offer to any person in any jurisdiction where unlawful or unauthorized. These materials have not been reviewed by and are not registered with any securities or other regulatory authority in jurisdictions where we operate. Any general discussion or opinions contained within these materials regarding securities or market conditions represents our view or the view of the source cited. 
Unless otherwise indicated, such view is of the date noted and is subject to change. Information about the portfolio holdings, asset allocation, or diversification is historical and is subject to change. This document may contain forward-looking statements or FLS. FLS reflect current expectations and projections about future events and or outcomes based on data currently available. This document may contain forward-looking statements or FLS. FLS reflect current expectations and projections about future events and or outcomes based on data currently available. Such expectations and projections may be incorrect in the future as events which were not anticipated or considered in their formulation may occur and lead to results that differ materially from those expressed or implied. FLS are not guarantees of future performance and reliance on FLS should be avoided. TD Global Investment Solutions represents TD Asset Management Inc. and Epic Investment Partners Inc. Both entities are affiliates and wholly owned subsidiaries of the Toronto Dominion Bank. 